William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. It's Cofield and Company. Silver 7's on a Thursday. Cofield and Company. Busy day, busy day. We got VGK opening night at home. Home opener, home opener, home opener. They uh, won game one against the Kings, but tonight Blackhawks in town. Mostly familiar faces, except for uh, Fat Phil. We, we say that affectionately. Phil Castle, right? PH. We're, we're fat. Uh, yeah, PH. Um, but new coach in Bruce Cassidy. Uh, new goaltending situation, which has some of the old elements, but new goaltending situation. So we'll get into all that. Uh, we have a conversation from this morning on the press box. We'll play for you with Bruce Cassidy, who was on ESPN Las Vegas. Let's get to it. It's the three on Cofield and Company. So what's up, John? Chilling, man. Hanging out. I'm really, I'm oddly excited for Thursday Night Football tonight. Really? Yeah. I figured almost no one was, and I was going to pitch the 77-cent beers real hard today. Uh, real hard. I have, I have an inkling this is going to be one of those, like, so bad it's good type games, but in the sense that, like, you know, like when two people don't fight, so they just, like, they can't fight. Throw haymakers, and there's no defense, and it's just ridiculous. Somebody gets knocked out, and there's blood everywhere. This is going to be that. Because does that mean it's going to be 9-6 or nah, it's going to be 30, like, 35-31? Yeah, it's going to be like 35-31, ridiculous and dumb touchdowns. Carson Wentz is going to throw one of the best passes you've ever seen, and he's also going to underhand it to a defensive lineman, <laughs> and they're going to return it for a touchdown. It's going to be incredible tonight. Good environment. For me, today is one of the most exciting days in NFL history. <laughs> Why? Because chaos and Armageddon could be on the way. I don't think it's going to happen, but right now there are – uh, owners, especially the older ones around the NFL, emptying out diapers, their own. This is scary. No, it's not. Seth Wickersham. Well, I think the setup is scary. Seth Wickersham, great writer. You remember he's the one who all of New England said fake news to when he talked about all the tumult and the angst and the problems between Kraft and Belichick and Brady. It was true. Uh, it was not fake news. I believe this one 100%. He wrote a great story today about Dan Snyder and his place with the other owners. Dan Snyder, the owner of Washington, and we've been asking for a while now, man, how many times do you have to kind of cross the line on lots of different fronts? You know, sexual harassment, uh, the DEA was dealing with the Washington franchise. There's been uh, racial issues, alcoholism. I mean, going back 15 years, it's a mess of a franchise, and they've booted or at least gently forced other owners to walk for a lot less, including Jerry Richardson, who played in the league, who they could have been loyal to, but I think they made the case of Jerry Richardson for his sexual harassment over the years and comments in the workplace, and they were like, all right, do yourself a favor, do us a favor, move on, you're going to make a lot of money. He did, he sold it to uh, Tepper, and he made billions. Well, Dan Snyder's a different kind of cat. Dan Snyder's got little man syndrome, the Snydog. You know, we always talk about him being kind of the, the frat bro before he decided to drop out and make billions. And he still acts like that. Mm -hmm. And he's allegedly, uh, you know, a massive sexual harasser. He oversaw a franchise that was treating women like crap. Uh, racial issues as well. Just an embarrassment to the National Football League. And especially when the league is often trying to discipline players for bad publicity and nothing has happened to Snyder. And we've all been wondering, well, why haven't they gone after Snyder? The other owners have the power to vote and say, get this guy out of here. So Wickersham wrote a story. It is voluminous. And it kind of backs up what we all thought, that Dan Snyder's one of those dangerous guys. There's a lot of people who, who, who will claim this, like, hey, you take me down, everyone else is going down with me. But they really don't have the goods or the nuts to do it. 
but Dan Snyder's a little angry guy, and Wickersham laid it out today that, I mean, some of the stuff he said was nuts. I mean, I, the reports of Snyder basically saying, I've got this and that on different people. I've got stuff on Goodell. I'll burn this whole freaking thing down. Not shocking. But beyond that, there was some really, really good stuff in there, and you can see why they're tiptoeing around the owner of the Washington Commanders. And so we, we knew this to an extent, and that's why I say it wasn't surprising because there's a lot of times when we talk about these owners and you don't want things to go to like lawsuits or something because then the discovery, things might come out, and you don't want those things to come out. What we didn't really, at least for me, you didn't realize the extent to which it was, which is that he would hire, allegedly, private investigators to look into other owners and Roger Cadell to dig up dirt. Apparently, according to the report, he has a, a file, as he calls it, on Jerry Jones. A file. So it's just like littered with maybe a lot of Jerry Jones. So who knows? It, it, like He called it, this is one of the quotes in there, uh, somebody said that he was a, a paranoid rich dude who, quote, thinks evil is lurking around every corner. <laughs> that's, that's Dan Snyder. Yeah. And it's at least, I think it's at least six other owners who are believed to be his targets. It's by the way, it's hovering right around that right that bare minimum that he would need to get kicked out. So that kind of helps you out. Yeah, he needs twenty four votes against to get the boot. Right. So if you have dirt on eight, <laughs> right, just keep yourself around. Just keep yourself around or something like that. And the fear yeah. that anybody else would be out there. It knowing this, it does make sense that a guy who has gone through everything that you have mentioned and been flat out embarrassing for the National Football League is still around to this point. But it's also awesome to learn that all the other owners hate him. Even Jerry Jones. Well, he finally flipped Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones is one of his backers, but you know Jones is completely fed up with him. And you know, a lot of it goes back to one of the more recent allegations that the commanders allegedly are skimming money yep. on ticket sales. And, you know, listen, all the, the sexual harassment stuff, I'm not blowing it off. Uh, but reality is there's a lot of offices around the NFL for – decades and decades that have had the same thing going on so what are they all going to point fingers at snyder right when they've allowed the same thing to go on i mean jerry jones himself they had a guy basically a peeping tom who peeped on his sister mm -hmm. and they just paid him off and tried to keep it quiet and the nda came out last year so the other owners i think are afraid hey we're doing same some of the same stuff and when you start stealing money from the other owners i thought that was where the line was going to be drawn and that's all alleged they're still looking into it but there's been no line drawn. The guy disappeared for months and months and months, was on his yacht in Europe trying to escape getting in front of a congressional committee. That's embarrassing for the league, and they've done nothing about it. And in Jones' case, I think Jones has been one of his big defenders, and I think Jones' motivation for defending him is because Jones knows that Snyder's a, a vicious dirtbag, and they would come right back at him. But, it, yeah, it sounds like in the story that even Jones is like, okay, I can't defend this guy anymore. I've had enough. Yep. So I think there's two, there's two other things to take from this story as you kind of look forward through it. The first is, and the more serious note, is how big a dirtbag, we kind of know this, but how big a dirtbag are each and every single one of these owners if they're more afraid of getting their public stuff out, if their stuff out there in the public, and allowing this man to continue to own a franchise in the National Football League despite everything that's gone on there. So they clearly fear something, which means they all have some very embarrassing and or lewd and just probably despicable things that Zack Snyder may potentially know about them. The other side of this, which I find somewhat more humorous if you really look at it, he's acting like almost manic, right? Yeah. He, I think at one point somebody calls him like a cornered dog, and he's just like lashing out, and he's vicious. What if he thinks he has all this dirt, and it's actually nothing? <laughs> 
and he's he's either one bluffing or thinks it's this gold mine of information when in reality, oh, that's all you know about me? Oh, sure, yeah, okay, let's get this guy out of here. He doesn't know anything about what's going on when it comes to the Seattle Seahawks or whatever is happening yeah. behind the scenes. But you realize how dangerous that threat is. Oh, of course. Because if you had evidence on every or on a good number of owners, just on the, the, the basic level, the sexual harassment stuff, I mean, we know that's out there with multiple organizations. They're investigating multiple organizations. What if Snyder knew the dirt on how owners have dealt with their local cities and municipalities? Because you know stuff goes on in every city to get deals done, you know, from deals. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that doesn't get out. And if not, and the, the shocking thing in here was that he's hired PIs. He's got private investigators following other owners. At, uh, at one point, Wickersham in the ESPN.com story about Dan Snyder says that Snyder told an associate, the NFL is a mafia. All the owners hate each other. Right below that, he says, one veteran owner responded, that's not true. All the owners hate Dan. Right. That's great. That is, a that is great stuff. And you know how you know most billionaires get to where they're billionaires. You've got you to cut some corners and you've got to step on some necks and you've got to be vicious. Well, now we've got a group of, I'm not saying all of them are vicious, but we've got a group of probably you know, two dozen plus who've got a lot of misdeeds out there. And Dan Snyder, you know, behind the scenes, which is now in front of the scenes, it is the scene, according to Wickersham, because it's out there, behind the scenes has been plotting and threatening and pointing fingers and saying, you know what, I go down, I'm taking all you down. Yeah, and, and I do think as well it does make you look so – with the John Gruden emails, for example, right, <clears throat> as part of the Washington football team owner, Dan Snyder, in the court filing, okay? Well, the NFL clearly needed the fall guy in all of that, so the emails of Gruden leak. Well, Dan Snyder, let's look at that through a different lens now. Dan Snyder has allegedly hired private investigators to get dirt on every single one of these owners, and Roger Goodell. Who's not to say that Goodell, knowing that there's probably something out there on him, then was like, you know who our fall guy should be? John Gruden. It sounds wild, but at the same time, tell me why that wouldn't be the case. This needs to be a 10-year series on, on whatever, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, something. Probably Amazon since they're so tight now with the NFL. Like how awesome would a show on NFL ownership be going back like 50 years? I mean, to, like, can we go even further down the conspiracy hole? Amazon would be the perfect thing to do or the perfect place to do it. You want to know why? Because Jeff Bezos wants himself an NFL team, and what better way to blow the lid off of it right. than to get one of those guys out, which would be Dan Snyder, owner of the Washington football team, located in Washington, D.C., where he owns the Washington Post. Daily happy hour specials from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m., including 277 for pints, shots, and margaritas at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens. Pass on the breakout, knocked down by Petrangelo. Stevenson in, with Stone, got a two-up, he scores! Mark Stone! A huge fist pump, 24 seconds to go. Mark Stone, two fist pumps. He goes far down, and the Knights have their third lead of the day. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver Sevens with Cofield and Company. Dan Duva on the call there, exciting game one to the season now it's the home opener that's coming up tonight right here in las vegas you can hear all the pregame and game action on our sister station fox 
Sports Las Vegas. That's 1340 and 98.9 FM. This morning, Bruce Cassidy, the head coach of the Golden Knights, joined the press box and they started this part of the conversation talking about the fourth line. You know, we, we're trying to start them in games and, and uh, you know, get them off on the right foot, some puck possession. So uh, he certainly earned that. I think that was more even strength um, ice time. You know, I think, you know, the other guys certainly got their, their share the guys that kill and play in the power play. So it's just a matter of uh, Colasar doesn't play a lot of uh, special teams either. So um, when power plays were up or penalty kills were done, that that line came over the boards a lot to try to reestablish momentum. That's what we're hoping out of that line, to uh, to do that and go grind away on the other end, wear teams down. And they did a really good job with it up in uh, L.A. Mark Stone, and obviously his health is uh, paramount to uh, what he can do, and everyone talks about the goal he had, but... Can you talk about why it's paramount to have him? Everything he does and how, how important he is uh, in ways other than you know scoring game-winning goals. Well, he plays in all situations, right? So uh, power play, he's a, a real good net front guy and makes plays, scores from there. Uh, we want to get him back on the PK now that he's healthy, uh, be part of that rotation. He's got such a great stick and anticipates plays. So, um, and then the five-on-five, five, obviously. So, And he's your captain, right? So you want him in a good place. Um, just think there's there's too much value there to you know to not have him going every in, in every area. So a big plus for us, and I think every team would say that, right? With when 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 your top players are going and they're they're feeling it, you're going to be a better team, and, and we're no different. How much do you look at in individual games getting specific matchups for different lines and and with the Paul Cotter line, the fourth line there, like having them be able to steal some minutes against a first or a second line so that Jack Eichel's line or Mark Stone's line can get a little bit more favorable matchups against some of the other bottom lines of other teams? Yeah, I think it's more about not uh, ruining your chemistry and your rhythm of the game. And if, and if they want to try to disrupt that by putting a certain line out, we, we just want to roll through our four lines, trusting them all, knowing they can do the job no matter who goes out there, right? So, I mean, I have no problem playing Jack Eichel against Kopitar, whoever the top center is. Tonight, if it tays, you know, I think Jack would relish that matchup. So would Stevenson. I mean, we know Carlson can play against anybody, but I don't want to chase it either, right? So guys are sitting and waiting, and, and then they lose kind of their flow of the game. So that, that's the purpose behind that on the road, especially. Um, I think everyone always feels better if they're, they're staying in the game. And obviously, situational, we use the players that that can excel in, in certain instances more than others, but in general, that's that, that's why how I like to run it. Can you grade for us Logan Thompson's first game? And my assumption is you'd love him to grab this job over the next however many weeks or month and, 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 and be the guy. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I mean, we obviously have competition going into this year with Robin's injury. Uh, Logan had the leg up, I thought, simply because of experience. He'd been in front of this group and played well late last year. Um, we're playing a little different style of play, so that's probably the same for everybody. And Hill comes in, uh, certainly uh, opportunity for him. Brassois still injured, so he's he'll be a little late to to the competition. But we'll we'll hopefully get an opportunity to sort of get into that. But at the end of the day, yeah, we'd we'd love it if Logan stepped up and was the guy. I think it's a lot to ask most goaltenders now in the NHL to play that 60-65 game schedule. I think there's very few that do that. So we're not going to ask him to, to play that, but maybe 60% of the workload, if he could handle that, would be great, especially a guy his age. Uh, I thought he played very well the other day. If you look at all the goals, I wouldn't put any of them on him. Um, made a couple of key stops when we needed him. So I don't know if there's necessarily a great, but he won the hockey game. That's his job. He gave us a chance to win. No bad goals. So I always look at that as a, a real positive uh, performance. When Laurent Brossois is healthy, is there any chance you guys would carry three goalies or is there going to have to be a decision there if all three are healthy? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think Kelly will, will, will determine that. Roster and cap are his area. Um, and I think ideally it's never great when you have three for an extended period of time, but you've got to you know, manage your assets and, and see what you have as well. So some of that might be performance-driven. Where are the other two? Um, and, you know, kind of go from there. I think that, that's probably the, the best answer is I don't know. Um, we'll do what we ever have to do, do right, to, like I said, to, to manage our guys and um, at the end of the day uh, figure out the best solution, and that will probably be two at some point. Bruce Cassidy with us, head coach of the Gold Knights. Their home opener is tonight against Chicago. Uh, do you have an expectation on when Nick Haig would make his debut? Yeah, he's going in tonight. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you so, go. <laughs> wait no longer, fellas. I was going to say uh, what, I, I'm curious when, when you have a player. How's that for an expectation? <laughs> right there, that there works. You go. You're expecting a lot. Uh, <laughs> when you have a player that uh, is you know holding out and he wants a different contract, the head coach's role in that, because obviously that's a front office player uh, type of situation. What exactly is your role when Nick Hague well, is it, not there? Yeah, I, I don't know, to be honest. I, you know, I haven't gone through it a lot. My, I communicated with Nick when he was, he was here skating in August. So we, we talked a bit about style of play and just introducing each other, et cetera. Um, who, you know, who he played with most of the year before, you know, just getting to know a guy. Uh, and then he, he leaves and you're thinking, well, it'll get done, it'll get done. But... Uh, at the end of the day, uh, a couple of texts on how you're doing, um, you know, uh, stay, stay busy, and hopefully this gets resolved, but you kind of stay out of it. That's the business side of hockey. I think John Stevens, uh, I know John Stevens, our assistant coach who runs the D, was in contact with him a little bit more with some video uh, from preseason games, et cetera, and, and you know, give him some, something to do while he was there to, to kind of watch how we're playing because he knows the other guys, right? So he's played with them all. So that's what we did with him, and... Um, all of a sudden, it's resolved. I mean, it's he's in tonight, so there's no concern in terms of the system and what he, how, how quickly he'll adapt. Well, I mean, yes and no, but he's got to go in at some point, right? I mean, we can practice it um, again tomorrow, but then we play Saturday, right? So it, he's going to have to get in there and 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 feel his way through it, make his mistakes like everyone else, learn from them, and go from there. So. Um, you know, effort and executions on him that won't change no matter how we play. You know, make sure you bring that. And then um, reading the plays down low again, he'll he'll have to you know learn his way like everyone else has up to this point. We weren't perfect in L.A. We're getting better. I think every you can see progress in terms of the guys' reads on the ice and kind of our switches and handoffs are happening a little cleaner. Um, he'll go through that as well. Uh, what did you think the Kings were doing at the end of that game as they held the puck behind the net and then? Suddenly tried to have a break out there in the last 30 seconds. I can't get in the, I think it was Jersey's head, but part of him was probably like, well, I can wait this out. We'll get our point. We'll get into overtime. Or maybe I'll try to catch him sleeping and I'll, I'll try to make a quick strike play. Um, Petro was on his toes, made a really good play in the neutral zone, and all of a sudden it backfired on him. So um, I haven't, you know, it was a little bit odd, to be honest with you, how it all played out, but it worked out well in our favor. So I'm happy. Is there uh, is there like a time on the clock that you think is too much time to try to run out behind your own net well, and play for overtime? You know, the, the funny part is sometimes the ref will tell you to get moving to keep the game moving, <laughs> right? Um, so he might have been. I I, I didn't have the uh, you can see in the when, when you watch the video after the ref is in the corner the official, but I don't know if he's speaking to him. If that was the middle of the game, I bet he would have been for sure. Hey, let's get this thing moving. Um, maybe time and score they allowed him to sort of milk it a little bit. But um, I know that in the past they'll try to encourage um, plays like that to, to, to sort of 
get, get going because no one wants to sit there and watch that. What's your ex- uh, expectations for Phil Kessel? Uh, help us win contributing offense, uh, make our power play better. He's, he's more of a playmaker than a goal scorer now, I would say. Um, you know, he certainly has the ability to beat goaltenders with his shot. His foot speed is still excellent. Um, right now he's playing with Jack and Eichel and Smith, so he's in a good situation there. We'll see how that plays out. Good chemistry in preseason. Um, made a lot of plays to Jack. Um, and right now we'll, we're going to try to run with that. If it doesn't work out, we'll see if he fits somewhere else. But Phil seems to be in a good place. Uh, he's a good player, obviously. Uh, two Stanley Cups, so bring some experience to the room. He's practiced well for us, so he's done what we've asked. He's been good. Uh, before we let you go, Bruce, uh, did you happen to get your own little gold statue of your own face? I, I did. I, 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 my own face, I'm not sure, but it, it's a gold statue. It has my name <laughs> on it, so we're going to enjoy it. I gave one of my, <laughs> a couple of my buddies that were rolling through town yesterday. So, uh, yeah, it was a, a neat thing. See, that, <laughs> that's, that's what I was thinking. I don't know if I'd want one of me, but like if one of my friends had a little gold bust, I would absolutely want one of those just to keep and have. Yeah, it would be great. Yeah, my wife's in charge of that. <laughs> well, so, uh, She'll distribute them as she sees fit. She so. couldn't have been happy with the rankings on the handsome coaches. Who, who did those things? Yeah, I don't know if she ever saw those. What a disaster that was. (laughs) Well, nowhere to go but up. There you go. Bruce Cassidy, head coach of the Golden Knights. First year, started out well. Win in game one. New systems. Developing. Developing. I like that. Hey, goes right in. Just a couple days after signing. Yep. That was uh, good breaking news from the uh, morning show right here on ESPN Las Vegas. And, of course, we're intrigued by the handsome list. Yeah, we got to get into this. It's weird, man. I looked at the NHL <laughs> handsome list, and he, and whoever did it just put kind of random numbers next to it. I, I didn't see any explanation of the parameters, but there was clearly trolling because I, I looked at the bottom of the list. I was like, just how ugly are these guys? And I was like, okay, they're not bad. I was like, I guess most of the coaches in the NHL are pretty decent looking. And then I started to look in the top five, and they put a couple of trolls in the top five. I'm like, all right, uh, this, is, this is not a real list. Daryl Sutter, as the no, second head As handsome, number two. The yeah. most, second most yeah. handsome coach. He's a pretty beat up guy. Um, Derek Lalonde? Lalonde? I'm yeah. going to be terrible with the last L- name. L- I apologize. Lalonde, sure. Yeah, Lalonde. Yeah. Lalonde. Come on. Yeah. What, what are we doing with this? It, it, I feel like it's been flipped. This is not hometown bias. Bruce Cassidy is not 20, what is it, 20 spots behind Derek Lalonde. He's a nice-looking guy. In terms of handsomeness. But, but 23? Yeah, that was rough. Everyone hates the Golden Knights. So you're neutral. Jay Woodcroft, in terms of a handsome competition, would be three points better than Peter Laviolette? I don't buy it. Uh, where were all the VGK coaches, all the, the all-time head coaches? Where was DeBoer? And where's Gallant? DeBoer tied for 20th. Okay. Um, and Gallant. Most handsome list coaches in the NHL. Gallant might be accurately rated. He's 20. New business. Okay. All right. Any, uh, NBA doing the same thing? So they did. And now there's actually an explanation behind this because there was an article that was written about it. So it's inspired by the golden ratio of beauty phi. A measure of physical perfection according to ancient Greeks. It's an app that allows users to upload portraits before being presented with a face beauty analysis. So the golden ratio is approximately 1.618. 
app, uh, the app simplifies it and gives out a basic score out of 10 based on facial symmetries. So this site. So this is not an opinion of just like a, a panel voting on this. No, this is, is analytics, baby. This is the future. Your favorite. Uh, and according to, and I would kind of agree with this, but we go off the rails after number one. The most handsome head coach in the NBA is Cleveland Cavaliers head coach J.B. Bickerstaff. Good-looking guy. He's also on the younger side, too. He's 43, so it makes a little bit more sense. Age has not taken him. You know who the second most handsome head coach in the NBA is, according to this? This is where analytics. Analytics! I know. This is where it goes out the window, because this is where I can't defend numbers. Steve Clifford is allegedly the second most handsome coach in the NBA. For those who haven't seen Steve Clifford, let me tell you. He's not the second most head coach. I like, how, head coach I like how worked up you're getting. Is this going to be part of your Visa and NBA follow-up preview, the addendum? The, well, like, like even like Eric Spolstra's not even in the top ten. I think he's widely considered one of the more handsome head coaches. I mean, he's hot, right? man. Put, oh, wait, sorry. Mike Budenholzer's the fourth most handsome head coach in the NBA, according to this thing. They're not uh, prejudiced against the ball by like that. No, yeah, Clifford, Oof, clearly. Thank God. Thank God. It's about face symmetry. Not your hair, I guess. Hair the doesn't lettuce matter. doesn't matter, yeah. The, the lettuce doesn't the, matter. The lettuce is the running back of the body. I like how Cassidy, Cassidy didn't get all worked up. I think Cassidy recognized it for what it was. Yeah. That it was basically a troll job. He, I would love if he really got mad. Right, like, right? If he, like, stopped, he's like, how about that, by the yeah. way? Thanks for bringing that I'm up. Never coming on the show again. <laughs> Bye, guys. Join Cofield and company on Fridays for the 3-6 to six show at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. There's nothing like a football Friday at Treasure Island. Coming to win. I'm coming to dominate the sport, all right? Pickleball. Let's go. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s with Cofield and company. JBT is here. He works for VSIN. Is there betting on pickleball? I'm sure somewhere. Okay. That would have been big during the pandemic when people were looking for anything to bet. Uh, d- yes. And for those who don't know. big ping pong got? Uh, yeah. And for those who don't know, because that's what I was going to go down that path, because people were desperate to buy it or to bet on it, you couldn't even watch some of those games. So you'd have to go, like, the people would bet on these Russian table tennis games and then go on a site that was still running on, like, Windows 98 and just sit there and refresh the screen and wait for results like to come the in. The good old days. Oh, yeah. You don't know the good old days. That sounds insane. Do you know anything about pickleball? I don't get what they're doing and how they're roping in all these celebrities to be owners. What's the deal? So I just know that it's become more popular. Like, I have a group of buddies who go and play on Monday nights. Like, they, have, they play, I think, almost every other Monday or something like that. I, like, that's all the, the sport itself. It's essentially like tennis on a smaller court. So I guess that's why people like it. It's a little bit more action-packed because you're playing it on a smaller court. Um, but it's become more popular, I'll tell you that much. Like, people my age, I'm not super young, 31, but people my age are playing it more and more, and I would assume people younger than us are playing it as well. Are you good at any racket sports? No, but I've never really played a lot. I haven't since really tragic thing happened when I was a kid, when I was actually playing tennis as part of, like, a tennis camp deal. I like to talk about it. Okay. I, I lost my Darth Maul lunch pail when I went to tennis camp one time, and you're, I've never been You are a royal ass. <laughs> You're such an ass. <laughs> no, I've never really played a lot of racket sports. <laughs> I was like, wow, something really bad happened. I actually, uh, one of my brother's classmates uh, in high school was like one of our top golfers at the high school. And I think I think he passed away at 18 playing basketball. 
So like my mind went immediately to that. I was like, did someone die when you're? I was like, what? Yeah, I killed him actually. I just I laced up, I laced up forehand so hard, hit him in the temple. What is happening? Uh, Xavier Pope's going to join us in just a couple minutes. I got to throw this out there. Uh, We got a lot of football to get to today. And by the way, uh, thanks for the Tom Brady pickleball sound. I actually saw that from Jonathan Jossel. Remember our buddy down at the plaza who joined us for the bikini tug of war and. And you know, he threw it out there. He's like, I remember when everyone said we were crazy for investing in pickleball in 2016 because they got kind of rooftop in the pool area. They got all those pickleball courts. Looks so. nice. And he says, uh, now Tom Brady wants in. This is an amazing headline. The Iowa football team is the best case against nepotism that humankind has ever seen. Head coach, his son, and the world's worst offense. Kirk Ferentz has been at the helm of Iowa for, what, like 24 years. His son is running the uh, the offense. Running it? Running it into the ground. Right. I guess the other day at a press conference, it says here he was directly asked if he would consider stepping down. Yeah. Like, we're just going to press conferences going, you got to quit. Would you consider it? I mean, this – what are you doing? He's awful. That's harsh. He's, he's awful. He's awful. He's awful. And, and so is – and here's the thing. So I like you. You know this. I have been. I've preached very much that I'm not like. I would never be hard on my son, but I, I want my my son's life to be very realistic. If my son was bringing down my top ten defense to the point where we were awful, I'm firing him like three days in, <laughs> not four years later, and he's still holding on. They suck. And it's not like there's like one aspect of their like their offense that's kind of good, right? Like, hey, at least we run the ball really well. No. You're terrible in every facet of your offense. You wouldn't be able to come to Thanksgiving. Leave. You're, you suck. I don't want you to be my son anymore. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at me, JVT. Or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. I feel like I deserve royalties. Think about how many times people have looked at me, seen my portly <laughs> build, and said, Steve. Oh, you fat. Was that terrible? Did I get it? Yeah. No, no applause. Steve. Oh, you fat. Okay. You need to do something about that. It's like a little too much laughter right going on right now. Lawyer, host of Suit Up News, legal and cultural contributor, Xavier Pope, he is live on Cofield and Company. I think Xavier's still laughing from last week. What the hell's going on here? John Von Tobel, Cofield, Xavier is up. What's up, my friend? <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good. That is it. <laughs> so we got a lot of we got a lot of heavy topics to get into, but I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a curveball at you. John and I were just discussing the NBA during the break and the NBA league pass, and I keep seeing it advertised for ninety nine dollars for the season, and I feel like it's one of those things that's too good to be true. And I have a feeling I'm gonna sign up for this thing and we yelling all year. Would you buy the NBA league pass for a hundred bucks for the season? I think it's worth the money. I mean, I'm someone who watches a ton of NBA, so I mean, I'm watching so many games. I'm, I'm you're paying basically pennies per game if you're watching it like that. Yeah, Xavier, you're out in Illinois, right? Yeah, I'm in Chicago. So I mean, so, but well, I, mean, well, I, I, I asked because I think they have FanDuel out there, and uh, they have a promotion that if you bet five dollars, you get three free months of NBA League Pass. Really? Yeah, that's kind of a good special. Go, so, Xavier. Get get your gambling accounts open. <laughs> Got it. I appreciate it. Not going to happen, right? Not going to happen. Um, all right, let's talk about some legal stories. First of all, I mean, this number is just 
crazy on the surface. I mean, I'm not I'm not mad at it. Alex Jones, the decision came down. He owes $965 million. Man, that's a lot of money. That's what I tweeted. Uh, I mean, Alex Jones basically bragged about it, though, saying he, you know, he's he's bankrupt. So you're never going to get a dime out of me. And he's you know trying to going to trying to find every possible way legally to to get out of paying uh, that settlement. But I mean, it, it, it that leads to to me um, the next part of he's going to exhaust all of his income attempting to evade not having to pay. So he's going to go broke one way or another. Right. How is he bankrupt? I had seen a report over the summer on uh, John Oliver's show that Alex Jones was making as much as like 800 k a day from all of his sales on his website. So I'm guessing he's far from broke. Well, I mean, that's not the the, the, the prerequisite for bankruptcy. If you, you owe more than what you, you have. And so that's, that's okay. pretty much – I mean – he could, he could. I mean, nine hundred fifty-five million dollars is a lot of money, and that's that's over a course of a couple of cases. He was already two hundred million a hole already. So. so, what happens moving forward in terms of uh, if he tries to generate money in the future? He's not, you know, he's not like he's seventy-five years old. Does he ever make a dime doing anything again, or is every money that he ever makes the rest of his life going to these people? And. I see OJ hanging out at the golf course all the time, uh, and people thought he would be in the poorhouse after the civil uh, suit versus the Goldman family. Um, I don't, I don't see Alex Jones hurting, um, but I would rather see him under a bridge like the troll he is, um, sipping from um, the the drain pipes and scaring in the trash, um, foraging. Um, but that I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. So we go to what we saw on Monday night. Uh, that was Devontae Adams uh, shoving over the photographer after he was leaving the field. Uh, the photographer, as we learned, went to the hospital and is also filing charges. Is there really something to this? Yeah, I predicted this on Twitter when it happened. I said that Devontae Adams potentially could be criminally and civilly liable um, for his actions. Uh, see, it, it's and I'm, we're probably going to get into this a little bit about Draymond Green, but this is someone who's not on the not necessarily on the field of play or part of the action or part of do any part of the game whatsoever. This is a person working on the field. Devonta Adams touches him, pushes him, uh, and that that's technically assault, a misdemeanor assault. That's what he was he was charged with, and this also makes it easier to pursue a civil uh, matter versus him if you have some sort of uh, police statement and arrest and things of that nature. And Devontae Adams apologized immediately to what he did. Um, this is a slam dunk, and it, the photographer definitely has very strong grounds coming out of this with a significant amount of money. So there, there's no – so you said the apology changes everything, right? Because there's been a lot of people who are like, hey, photographer shouldn't have even been there. Is there something to that argument where he was in the wrong area of the field, Devontae Adams, he walked over his path, he got scared by him, he shoved him away. It's on the photographer, not Adams. Uh, I think the people are making up reasons to defend Adams. Um, what he did was a, it looked clearly an intentional act um, after being frustrated after a very tough game. Uh, and um, I understand this matter is in, in a heat of a moment, but in the heat of a moment, you don't use violence. It's really that simple. Um, I, I, I don't condone it. I don't think anyone should be condoning it. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's connected to a sporting event. Uh, what he, he just should have done. He should have done it. 
All right, let's move on from there. Uh, we have a lot left here. Let's talk about this. Uh, Matt Rule gets fired. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that this is really interesting. <laughs> I saw your tweet. Uh, you saw this coming. Yeah, of course I saw this coming. Matt Rule shouldn't have had that job in the first place. I've been tweeting that for years. A lot of, a lot of African-American sports journalists have been saying that, um, knowing that if he, the, 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 the lack of opportunity for African-American coaches and someone like Matt Rule getting an opportunity when there are plenty of guys that are qualified ahead of him, uh, even then Steve Wilkes getting the, the job to mop-up duty when he only got one year with the Cardinals. I mean, it, it, it just goes to show that problem that the league faces. And, of course, Matt Rule wasn't going to be successful at the job of week one. What, 11 games um, as coach there? Uh, and then Baker Mayfield as your quarterback? Good luck, Carolina, uh, cleaning up that mess. Would you ever work another day if you were fired and given $40 million to walk away from that job? Like, you know, well, Matt Rule, he still is going to get an opportunity to probably coach the collegiate level, maybe a big-time program, and still collect his 40 mil. So um, that's what happens in the carousel of coaching. Uh, you you get fired, you walk away with, a, with a, a bag of money, and it's particularly if you are part of it, particularly if you are a white coach, you get the opportunity to either go back in the league as a, a coordinator, make it back up and get another job, or go to college, get a big-time job, and make, that, make the leap again that way. All right, I want to go to my story. Uh, before we get to Steve's more serious topics here, so we had the uh, we had the story come down that those two fishermen got caught putting lead weights in the stomachs of those <laughs> fish that they caught in a tournament in Cleveland. Uh, but apparently, they were indicted yesterday on felony charges of cheating and attempted grand theft. They can they really potentially spend twelve months in prison for this? I didn't know that uh, catfishing was illegal. Uh, I didn't know that was a thing that happened in the sport. Uh, go ahead and get Neve on the case. With these two guys, uh, but I, I I didn't know that this was something that they could be criminally charged for. I laughed about it at the time, and it looks like based on statute they will be. And I think that their case is being perceived as some sort of a criminal element of fraud uh, in cheating with what they're doing. So that's the criminal uh, theory behind it. Um, will they serve twelve months in jail? Doubt that happens, but um, they will uh, receive some sort of criminal penalty. Um, based on what was uncovered at the scene of a, a fish fillet plus weight, um, yep. they were caught basically red-handed. Uh, it definitely was not a red herring there. <laughs> y'all missing, y'all missing, y'all y'all our, fish jokes uh, that was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. Uh, Moral Compass here on Cofield and Company, attorney out of Chicago, cultural contributor as well. Suit up news this week. You uh, you got something on the big lie? This well, yeah. Well, we're we're tapping into that, but I've kind of shifted my thought process on this. Now that LeBron James has gotten to this element with Kanye West, right? This, this, this is a bigger discussion than I want to expand on on this next episode. Um, and we didn't talk about this yet, but um, this is a pretty big deal because now it's getting into the world of sports uh, and with what's happened with the shop, uh, with the scrapping, the episode with Kanye West on there with some of the different things that he said. And we all know with the 2020 presidential election, uh, we had LeBron James and the different players making sure that there was a holding out at, in, after there was a shooting, a police-related shooting in, um, in, in, in Wisconsin, and that led to voting at NBA arenas. And then you had Kanye West supporting Donald Trump, and then all the, that relates to that and what politics is now bleeding into sport in a completely different way um, through the antics of Kanye West. Um, so definitely want to take a deeper dive in that now that news is broken. So what just happened with LeBron show and, and Kanye and I guess 
LeBron and Maverick Carter are like, yeah, we can't even air the show. Yeah, I mean, they, the fact that they openly said this about Kanye West, they could have just said we're not going to air the show, right, guys, and not gone into why. They could have gave right. us more corporate answer. Maybe some things would have leaked possibly later on, but after maybe this maybe died down. But they just flat out and came out and said, Kanye, we hope Kanye West would would maybe, maybe I don't think they necessarily hope he would apologize, but basically tone down the rhetoric um, that was, uh, was anti-Semitic and anti-black. But he chose to go on and even go further in this and then use the show as a platform to spew more of his garbage. And so to, to openly admit that about Kanye, I don't just, you're going to see some probably some crazy tweet from Kanye or something where he talks about LeBron James, and this pulls him into this, which is insane. So generally, leagues I don't think do a lot of really good things when it comes to like their merchandising and trying to get younger audiences and just people in general to care. I feel though, Xavier, that they hit it out of the park with this. So the Grizzlies are one of five teams that have been targeted by Bleacher Report and Mitchell and Ness for an NBA remix series. They're going to mold merch between NBA teams and local hip-hop artists. Uh, this first one that was released, the Memphis Grizzlies, and 3-6 Mafia uh, is the first chain that was out. I think this looks tremendous. Uh, I want to buy this. It goes on sale tomorrow. And what the doors it opens for other markets, like Jay-Z and Brooklyn and whatever you want to do in the others, I think it's a tremendous idea. I, I think it's fire. Michelin Ness um, just have always been amazing. Um, so props to them getting that done. And then this this is just this is hip hop. This is this is NBA. That those two cultures have blended so many different times. This this is something that just makes sense. That that I mean the design is absolutely fire. I, I'm excited to see how other markets pull it off. You were right talking about Jay Z in Brooklyn. Uh, it, 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 I'm 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 just you know, Rick Ross in the Heat. I mean I'm 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 geek. I'm, I'm loving it. I want to see more design. And that actually, that kind of opens up my next question, which is like for some of like L.A., for example, where there's so many options, what do you choose if you're Mitchell and S for Los Angeles? Are you picking a Nipsey? <laughs> you know? I mean, I mean that that's the first thing. I mean, I, as I was going through brain, I, my head, I was like, oh, you got to do Nip. But why why stop with just one hip-hop artist, though? If Mitchell and S is yeah. there – they, they can crank out multiple artists from, from from that one city, especially like a city like LA, or you, you, you're bringing New York in it. You got Fife who passed away. Um, you're bringing Tropical Quest in there. So there's so many different ways to explore, especially the designs of their album, and put that with Nick's gear. I mean, that's just that would be amazing. My my mind is spinning with all the ideas how Mitchell and Ness, Mitchell, Mitchell and Ness can pull this off. And if there's any anybody that can pull that off, it's definitely. Xavier, I got a couple seconds left. I hope you're okay from your uh, your running with a Karen at Whole Foods. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was, it was great. I was just getting a bunch of groceries for the kids, and I just got into the wrong line, didn't see it at the time. Had a woman try to police my face and was really rude about it and tried to just, like, really escalate it to a level that was really disrespectful. Had two amazing black women that stepped in and made sure they were behind me, said it was, everything was cool, and stood up for me in that moment. I needed it because... It was really a, really a tense situation for a moment. Everything wound up cool. I managed to eat my pea soup, drink my ginger ale, and take my groceries home for my kids. <laughs> there you go. All that for pea soup and ginger ale. All right, Xavier, <laughs> we appreciate it. Check him out on Twitter, at Xavier Pope, Suit Up News. Thanks, buddy. Love you. Love y'all, too. Peace. There you go. It was a run-in at the 15 
limited 15 or less checkout. And a lady called him out and was like, you can't be in this line. I don't know what I would do. 